Yeah, I think I said that right. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a revelation that he's had. Um, In order to keep himself from getting proud, he says that God gave him a thorn in his side. And he says this about it. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, it being that thorn in his side. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, today we've gathered to worship because we, like Paul, also find ourselves in the midst of weaknesses. And also, like Paul, we know that in our weakness, Christ makes us strong, and Christ is at work in us, around us, and through us. And because of that work of Christ, we find strength in our weakness. So we gather today to worship, to sing songs, to lift our voices in praise, um, to strengthen our hearts in our greatest times of need because we know that God's love and grace is no more than just a breath away from our hearts. So today we gather to worship, we gather to praise a God who meets us where we are in life, but who loves us so much more so that he's not willing to leave us the way that he finds us. Let's pray together, shall we? Holy God, we come together in your name, and through our weakness, we find strength in you. Through our hardships, you bring us clarity and vision for your purposes. In all of our persecutions and insults, you stand fast beside us. In every trouble of our life, you remain faithful. Today, we lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving to you, our God, who is our strength in our weakness. Be in our hearts and minds this day as we worship you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray and everyone said, amen. So a few years ago, I won't tell you how many, But a few years ago, while I was still working on my undergrad at Central, I met a man at Walmart, and it was the the strangest meeting. Um, Our cat at the time, Biscuits, I named the cat, um, had fleas. Well, actually, Biscuits always had fleas. Um, But at this particular junction, we had issues with the carpets, and so I was at Walmart looking for a flea bomb to bomb the carpet, which... Granted, now in retrospect, is probably too much information for you this morning, but that's where I was in Walmart in the flea bomb aisle. As I stood reading the labels, I noticed a young man walk by the aisle and look at me, and then I noticed that he came back and looked more intently at me, um, which I pretended to not notice. Um, until he initiated some uh, conversation, he asked if I knew where something was, and in which case I told him, and uh, he seemed genuinely appreciative, and kind of continued the conversation. Now, mind you, I don't always converse that well in the grocery store, and especially in the flea bomb aisle at Walmart, might not be the best time to talk to me, but I tried, I talked with this gentleman for a few minutes, and he, he ended up asking me for my email address. He said that he was new in town, was trying to connect with some young adults in the community, trying to get engaged, and then I seemed like a nice guy, and I said, I know. Um, but uh, I thought, you know, what's the harm? You know, make a new friend. You know, we're, we're, we were in a point in our life where we were looking for more relationships. And so I, I obliged, I gave him my email address. And a couple of days later, I got a nice, a lovely email from the man, and, and he, he thanked me for the assistance in the Walmart uh, flea bomb aisle, and, and um, 
he asked me if I was interested in grabbing a cup of coffee sometime, that he'd connected with some other folks and was trying to maybe get some folks together to, to, to have this little small group type thing. And yeah, sure, I, can, I just made a friend. So I showed up at, at, the, at the coffee shop, the local coffee shop, and you know, I was a little bit hesitant because uh, you never know. It's kind of like a blind date for guys, but it, it, I didn't really know what to expect. And, and I walked in and I saw the guy and he waved at me at the table and sure enough, he had a couple other young adults with him. And I'm, so I'm like, okay, this is legit. There's people here. And, and my heart sank when he lifted up his Amway binder. There were some strings attached to the cup of coffee. As a child of the 80s, one of my favorite TV shows is Seinfeld. Um, and there's an episode in Seinfeld that, that focuses especially and specifically on this idea of having some strings attached. And, and we're going to take just a minute to look at this video clip. And, and I want you to think about your life. And, and if you've ever been in a relationship or had an encounter with another person where there were some strings attached, I want you to, as you watch this clip, I want you to think about that event in your life. So let's just take a minute and watch this clip. to watch Seinfeld in church, right? My, my favorite line is after the clip ends, um, uh, George goes, I, I really wasn't listening. Um, it's a great way to end it. I think that most of us here today can relate to finding out that something that you have been invited to or has been gifted to you actually came with some strings attached to it. Um, and while our relationships often come with strings attached, have you ever felt like maybe your faith kind of comes with some strings attached? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt your faith surfacing and felt compelled that you had to do something? Have you ever felt God push, push you to act in a situation? It's kinda, I know it's, it's kind of a big question to ask, but it's a good question to ask. Do you think that as a, a person of faith, there are strings attached to your faith? Or, or do you think that being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ means that all you have to do is act out your faith on Sunday morning? Do you think Jesus had expectations of his followers when he walked on earth? Do you believe Jesus has expectations of you if you call yourself a follower? What kind, but what kinds of strings would Jesus attach to those who professed their faith in him? You know, we know that a life of a follower of Jesus Christ is not a simple or easy life at all. Jesus often asks an awful, an awful lot of us. Um, he, but Jesus asked a lot of the disciples who first followed him too. He asked them to give up some things. He, he asked them to act in some specific ways. He asked them to do things that were countercultural. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. You know, if someone steals from you, give them more. These were countercultural ideas, and they still are for many of us today. But there's one story that is especially meaningful to me in my life, and it's what I call the, uh, the gone fishing story. And I thought, you know, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. It fits well. So today I want to share with you my favorite gone fishing story in, in the Bible. And this event takes place just after Jesus' death and, and resurrection at Easter. And so our text today comes from John chapter 21, and it, and it starts like this. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. 
And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nick, uh, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, um, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two of the other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. I want you to recognize the humanness of, of what is happening in this because we have to think about the emotional turmoil that Peter has gone through up until this point. Um, because Peter had walked with Jesus for a couple of years and he was taught by Jesus and he witnessed the miracles of Christ. He, he had been sent out and evangelized with the disciples. He returned and witnessed more miracles of Christ. He walked with Jesus into Jerusalem a week before at that Palm Sunday celebration. He, he saw Jesus arrested in the garden. He denied Jesus three times, and Peter watched his Savior as he was nailed on the cross and crucified. You see, Peter would have experienced these emotional highs as he witnessed the miracles and teachings of Christ, and he would have experienced these devastating low as he watched Jesus get arrested. And I imagine that Peter got really depressed when he realized that he had denied Jesus three times. And I think about how emotionally broken Peter would have been watching Jesus crucified on the cross. These are the things that were leading up to this event. Left to his own thoughts on everything that had transpired, not only through the last few years, but specifically this last week of Holy Week leading up to this event, Peter makes a decision. He needs to get out. He needs to clear his head. He needs to just, just I just need to go fishing. Have you ever reached that point in your life where, where you just have to get out? I know, I know I have. Sometimes life gets so overwhelming that our only chosen response is to do something physical. It, when I was a kid, that, that chosen thing for me was often going out to the, to the shop to cut firewood, to split firewood. And um, for some folks, it's mowing the lawn, right? Or most recently in my chaotic life, it was I needed to go for a walk. And so I took the dog and we just, we just walked. Have you ever just had to get out? There's something, about, there's something about that physical action that gives us a chance to relieve the stress. Something about getting into a place where we can just clear our thoughts and our minds and we can just focus on what's really going on and, and just get over the stress of the situation. Have you ever reached that point in your life where you just had to get out? You see, Peter, Peter did. He reached that point. And so Peter went fishing. Peter went fishing, and the other disciples followed suit. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, hey, fellas, have you caught anything? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now we have to pause in the story for a minute to recognize the incredible event that just happened because we read over this and we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I think I read that somewhere else once. One of my favorite movie quotes from the Michigan cult film um, Escanaba in the Moonlight, just I gotta know, has anybody seen that besides me? Okay, my people, I'm glad you're here. 
My favorite quote from Escanaba in the Moonlight is, if you don't know where to begin, go back to the beginning. If you don't know where to begin, go back to the beginning. To understand what's happening to Peter on the lake shore after Jesus died, we have to go back to the beginning of Peter's story. And Peter has gone back to the beginning. In his calling, Jesus started with Peter on a fishing boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So let's recall quickly that first encounter as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him and to listen to the word of God, he noticed two empty boats on the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon said, we worked all night and didn't catch a thing. Sound familiar? But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so, so full of fish, they began to tear. Sound familiar? A shout for help brought their partners to the other boat, and soon both bro boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Those other partners were, of course, James and John. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man, for he was awestruck by the number of fish that he had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed him. See, the story has gone full circle. Peter first recognized who Jesus was by the fish that he found in his nets. After a night of unsuccessful fishing, Jesus instructs Peter to go out farther. And reluctantly, Peter obliges him. And when his nets are filled beyond their capacity, he calls his partners out to help, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And when the fish are in the boat, Peter falls at the feet of Jesus and begs Jesus to leave him. Go away. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of such greatness. Fast forward three years. Three years later, Jesus has died, and Peter is once again fishing with the other disciples. His old fishing partners, James and John, are with him, and he's fallen back on the one thing that he knows best. Peter has fallen back on his family trade. After another night of unsuccessful fishing, tired and worn out, he sees a man on the shoreline throw out your nets on the right side of the boat. The man calls. And they did, and once again, the nets are filled beyond capacity. And then the author goes on to say this, then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it off for work, jumped into the water and headed ashore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. The first time Peter meets Jesus, he recognizes that there's something special about him. When his nets were full, he called to James and John to help 
before he fell at the feet of Jesus. And then he left everything behind and to follow him. But this time, it's John, the disciple that Jesus loves, that recognized Jesus for who he was. It's the Lord, John says. He proclaims it. And Peter dives into the water and swims for shore. And when he gets to shore, Jesus is making breakfast over the fire. Now, I'm a visual person, and so I get this image of sitting on the shoreline around a campfire, cooking breakfast, the fish that were just caught. But the story goes on like this. Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had risen from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. He was hurt because Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, Peter had fallen back on the career that he knew. A life of hard work, a life where he knew where his livelihood would come from. You see, the life of the fisherman, you, you, you put in the work. You catch the fish, you sell the fish, you make a living. It was what he knew. But Jesus was not done with Peter yet. There was still more for him to do. Sitting on the shoreline with Jesus, Peter is asked three times if he really, do you really love me, Jesus asks. And three times Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. You see, on the day that Peter met Jesus, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're gonna fish for people. And now three years later, Peter is given more instructions Peter is not just supposed to reach out to new people. There were some more strings attached. Peter was meant to fish for, pe for people, yes, but he was also meant to feed Jesus' flock, to feed Jesus' lambs, to take care of Jesus' sheep, to feed Jesus' sheep. From day one, Jesus expected Peter to accomplish works. Eating breakfast on the shoreline, Peter found out that Jesus expected even more from him than he expected of himself. He could not return to his old life. He couldn't go back to the life of a fisherman. His calling by Jesus and his choice to follow came with some expectations. Peter didn't know what to do next. When life came crashing down around him, his life had crashed down around him and he was stuck in this spiraling thought process of what now? What do I do now? Jesus is dead. What's next? And that's what so many of us do. Peter goes back to his old ways because that's easiest. He went back to what he knew, but Jesus was not done with him yet. Peter had committed his life to Jesus, and that 
Commitment meant there were expectations. Even though Jesus had died, there was still work to do. Peter's job was not done. And it's the same in our lives. It really is. When life comes crashing down around us and things don't turn out the way that we expect them to and everything seems like pure chaos in our world and life, we do the same thing. When it's easiest just to say, I'm going to go back to the way things were because the way things were is what I know and what I know is comfortable. For Peter, it was, well, I know how to make a living fishing. I'll just go do that again. For us, It's a variety of things. When you find yourself thinking, I'll go back to the fishing, I'll go back to that thing because it's comfortable, it's known to me, and this future right now is uncertain, and that makes me uncomfortable. But there are strings attached to our commitment to Christ. You see, Jesus expects you and he expects me to live out our commitment to him. And so there are three things I want to share with you about this passage and this story. Three things that I would like you to do to remember your takeaways from this story of having breakfast on the shoreline, of fishing. And the first thing is I want to encourage you to get out of the boat. To get out of the boat. When you find yourself falling back into your old life, into your old ways, the things that you have left behind, God is going to reach out to you and he's going to call you back. Because God is continually reaching out to us and calling us back. Often we choose, we choose to ignore that calling. But when you see Jesus in the distance calling you back, get out of the boat, jump in the water and swim for shore, and get back on track. Because you can never be, hear me, you can never be too far away from Jesus to not be able to find your way back. You can never be too far away. So get out of the boat. Number two, I want you to have breakfast with Jesus. I want you to, to, to know, if you want to know what you're called to do, have breakfast with Jesus on the shoreline like Peter. Bring nothing with you but the desire to sit with the Savior. Listen to the words of Jesus again. Listen to his words to you. Peter left everything in the boat except for his shirt. He put his shirt back on. But he dove into the water and brought nothing with him except a desire to sit with Jesus again. Except for that desire to listen to his words. So find a way to have breakfast with Jesus, bringing nothing else with you. For me, it looks like reading my Bible and writing in my journal in the morning. For you, it might be listening to a podcast or listening to an audio Bible, but find a way for you to have breakfast with Jesus again, to just sit and listen to what he has to say and what he has to speak into your life. Number three, be ready to act. You need to be ready to act in this life because Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times and three times Peter said that, yes, I do love you, Jesus, and three times Jesus said, because you love me, I expect you to do something. Because you say you love me, I expect you to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep, to take care of my sheep. I have an expectation that you are going to act. You see, the life of a follower of Jesus comes with these strings attached, these expectations that you will do something because we claim our faith in Christ. We're called to live out our faith, to act upon our faith in different ways. It looks different for each one of us. What you're called to do may be different than what I'm called to do. But the point is, is that Jesus calls us to act, to do. 
when you leave your past behind and you sit and you eat breakfast with Jesus on the shoreline, be ready for Jesus to direct you to do something because God calls us to act on his behalf in the world around us. So the three things, get out of the boat, have breakfast with Jesus and bring nothing with you except the desire to sit with the Savior and be ready to act when Jesus calls. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we are so grateful that you are willing to meet us where we are, to call us out of our past and into our present and future. When we see you on the shoreline, Lord, help us to recognize you and to jump wholeheartedly from the boat. As we sit on the shoreline listening to your son Jesus, help us to leave all of our baggage behind. We're ready for your instructions, Lord. We are prepared to act on what you call us to. And we know that with our faith in you comes expectation. And we're ready to serve. It's in your son Jesus' holy name that we pray and everyone said.